Welcome to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God. Pastor Larry Sterling, we invite you to join us in a service soon. We're located at 379 Avenue A, East Point, Florida. Our service times are 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays and 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. We pray that this week's message inspires you to shine the light of Christ to those around you. Submitting to God is declaring that only God can beat the devil. Submitting to God says that you are not the warrior Jesus is. So that submission to God and Satan fleeing, the, 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 the understanding sometimes we overemphasize the fleeing part of Satan. You don't see who's standing behind you when you submit to God as you watch the devil flee from you. So submission brings God's victory into your life. Proverbs taught us God made the world and with wisdom interlaced this world with all of wisdom around us. There is a way to live in this place, in this world, in this time. And if you live, if you find wisdom, you found a good thing. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So this acknowledgement of God allows you to begin to discern how to live right. If you fear God, you will make decisions based upon that fear. If you do not fear God, then you will make decisions based upon that lack of fear. Ultimately, though, we know that how life ends for those who do not fear God. So then we go on, and Ecclesiastes tells us a story about pain in this world. And the story is, in Ecclesiastes, is that what about those who fear God but experience pain in this world? Ecclesiastes tells us something very, very powerful. Life is short. We must live each day unto the glory of God by not trying to selfishly hold on to things that we cannot control. That's what Ecclesiastes is about. Let me say it again. Life is short. We must live each day unto the glory of God by not trying to selfishly hold on to things we cannot control. We try to control all this, and Ecclesiastes calls it vanity. Breath, meaningless, so to speak. You try to hold on to something that is unholdable for us as humans. And so today we see a man named Job. You see him set up. You see him as a as a king of sorts. You see him as somebody who appears to have it all together. You see him as a man who has feared God and shuns evil. And then you see his children and the blessedness of it. You see all the wealth that he has, that he was the greatest man of the East. And then he's got these kids who like to party. And so... In order to try to help his children, he sacrifices. Every time their party is over, he sets out a he sets out a sacrifice to the Lord, just in case they committed sins. And so he he is careful to watch over what God has done. And now we get into the story of Job. 
The story goes something like this. And you read further on in the text. The Bible says that Job was a subject at a heavenly council. That at some point there was a meeting in heaven. And all the Bible calls sons of God in the New Testament, we refer to them as angels. So all these angels are presenting themselves before the Lord and telling God what they have. They're reporting on what is happening on the earth. And they're, expli- they're, they're telling the Lord, they're presenting themselves to God. So there's this heavenly council. And in the midst of this heavenly council, there was one called the Satan, Satan, the adversary, who stands before God. And God asks him the question, he says, where have you come from? Where have you been? What have you been doing? And so he, he stands in the midst and reports on all that is going on. Notice this. Let's go back to verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands. And his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So now you see the introduction of the story of how This council had taken place. God is bragging on Job. Satan is going around and he's finding evil men everywhere. He's finding it in the hearts of men. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, yes, trust me, God. I've been after him. This is my interpretation of it. But you've got a hedge around him. Every time I try to do something against him, it's blocked. He said, and the only reason why he praises you, the only reason why he worships you, the only reason why he serves you is because of what you do for him. If you take everything away from him, he won't worship you. He won't praise you. If you remove all that he has, then he'll surrender and curse you to your face. And so he says, take it away from Job and then watch what I can do. And so then, you know the story, many of you. The Bible goes on in this first chapter and Job loses everything. 
loses it all. And he loses all of his wealth. He, he loses all of his, his possessions. They've been, he's, he's a victim of raiders. And then verse 18 tells us the horrific part of it. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across this wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and all and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. So in the midst of all of this, this man comes back. He's lost his wealth, he's lost his house, he's lost it all. And this guy comes and refer, tells him he's even lost his children. Obviously, Job has deeply loved his children because he is sacrificing for them. He is praying for them. He is asking God to cover them. He is trying to extend the hedge that's around him, around his children. And so he, he is desperately wounded. The Bible says Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped that when he lost everything he still worshipped and this is a story here of how it how unbelievable it is let me ask you your question there's two stages to Job's test the first stage is, what if tomorrow you lost everything? Would you still worship? You see, do your possessions equate favor? Does all that you have, is that, is that, is that all that God is? All that God has granted you to live in this life with, is that... If he would take it from you, does that mean he no longer loves you? You see, Job answered this question of Satan. And he said, I didn't have anything when I came into this world. And I can't take anything with me when I leave this world. So I'm going to worship you, God. But hear me, you can't, you can't see the emotion that's on this page. He has lost everything. I don't care who you are. If your kids, all of them died on the same day, I don't care who you are. You, it would wound you. If all of your kids and your grandchildren, all of your family, all of them were in a house together, celebrating together, and they all died on the same day, would you walk down and just have a great day? No, you wouldn't walk around and say, yeah, I'm going to claim my blood. No, you would rip your clothes. And you would fall to your face. But would you worship? This is what Job did. He worshiped. Verse 22, the Bible says, in all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. It wasn't God who took it from him. And then Satan's irritated. 
The story goes on. Satan says, all right. I, Job is only serving you. It's got to be. I've taken everything. Most men die at that moment, God. If I take everything from most men, they give up. They sell out. They curse you and die. He said, but all right, Job's special. So let me take his health. Let me take that. And so the Bible says, God says, okay. Verse 4, so Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. I could have titled this, What It Feels Like to Be in the Hand of Satan. And still be belong to God. That's not a good moment. And so in this atmosphere of, of pain, obviously Job is, is devastated. His health is devastated. And this one is where his wife breaks. We don't see his wife breaking with the loss of everything else. But we see the fact that his wife looks at him and says, You, 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 you have given your whole life, you've walked with God, you have done all that you have, our children are dead, our home is gone, everything that we have is gone. Now it looks like your health is gone. Why don't you just curse God and be done with it? And he sits down because he knows something deep within inside of him. He can't do that. can't do that. And he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept diversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Shall we accept good when God blesses us and not accept the adversity that comes against us? And then Job's three friends show up. These friends are legitimately friends. And they're you and they're me. Because we all have good advice for people we see going through things. We're real good about speaking into somebody's life when it's not touching our lives. We're expert psychologists. We've got the answer for all of life's problems. And these guys, I'm sure Job doesn't hang around with foolish people because he usually if you see somebody that's done well for themselves, they have friends that are similar. And so Job has friends. The Bible says, when they heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. And here's the, here's the cast of character, so to speak. The Bible says in 
verse 11. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. They're not coming to, to cause him pain. They came to be with their friend. And notice, in that custom, if you entered into somebody's presence in their house or where they were living, you were not allowed to speak until you were spoken to. So the Bible says, in verse 13, So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his grief was very great. And you will not see a friend speak until Job speaks first. Do you have friends that would come and would just surround you? And they would just sit with you in your pain. And they wouldn't speak until you spoke. You see, sometimes I think Job's friends get a bad reputation. But I'm telling you, I was reading this, and I can tell you that I've seen myself in just about every one of these friends. I see myself after reading this book. I, 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 was, I was even repenting this morning. I, things are coming to my mind, thinking, man, I treated, oh, I'm sorry, God. Hey, if you think pastors are perfect, you're wrong. And so I, I looked at, I was looking at these friends. And they waited for Job, and Job's speech is devastating. And Job, all he wants to say is this. He curses the day that he was born. And then he goes through his complaints and pain. And so this is what Eliphaz says. You see, Eliphaz and the rest of them, they, don't, they didn't see this heavenly counsel. They don't know that Job is innocent. They don't know that God was bragging on Job. They don't know about these things. And so they're, they're trying to help their friend. So the first friend, Eliphaz, in chapters 4 and 5, he basically, to sum up what he says is this, Job, man, what'd you do? That's basically what he says. In a, in a very poetic way, the Bible puts that. He's like, what sin did you commit? I mean, this is bad, Job. I mean, I thought I knew you, Job. I thought... We were friends, but you've got a secret life or something. Because there is absolutely no way God would do this to somebody. I've heard that advice given from Christians to Christians. What'd you do? I didn't do anything. I woke up in the morning. And she was the one that blindsided me with the affair. 
I woke up in the morning, and he was the one that left me. But you got friends that show up, and they look at you, and they say, what did you do? What sin did you commit that God would punish you so bad to take every single thing that you have away from you and then come after your life? And so, hear me. His friend is trying to do his best with what he's got. You can imagine the emotion as he's talking to Job. Job. You know, he means this in the best way possible. He wants Job to repent, and hopefully if Job would repent, then God would restore. And so he says, you know, wisdom tells us that God is just. Wisdom tells us that God holds this world. If you do good, God will reward you back and forth, back and forth. That's what he says. And so so he's speaking this over Job, and Job says, He denies it all. He says, my complaint is just. In chapter 6, he says, my grief, it will fully weigh my calamity, laid with it on scales. Basically, he goes on in a poetic way. He says, I'm righteous. I'm even praying for people just in case they sin. So he, he is righteous. He's defending himself. But his friends, they, they, their paradigm is shifting. Their brain, they say, well, this just doesn't happen to good people, Job. You've done something. And Job is angry with them. He basically, I got friends like you. Who needs enemies? He says in chapter 7, I am suffering, and there is no comfort in my suffering. So then the next friend shows up. This is the worst comfort and mourning I've ever heard in my life. His friend, Bildad, tries to help his buddy Job out. And essentially he says, your sons are dead because they were sinners. Listen, that's not a good way to start a conversation. If you read through what the Bible talks about, chapter 8, he makes it known, Bildad does. It says in verse 4, if your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgression. Apparently, Job. There were bad things happening in that place. And so your children died because they sinned. Job's broken. He broke. And basically what Bildad is saying, not only did your sons sin, but apparently your children are dead because you sinned too. That's the theme of the text. Vicious friends. But I hear it many, many times. 
And so you go on. And then the last guy, I mean, if two weren't bad enough, Zophar, he sums up their entire complaint. Job has different pleas with God, but chapter 11, Zophar, he basically outlines the gloriousness of God. And to sum it all up, he says this, he says, God's wisdom is awesome. And it is clear because God is awesome that you have sin, Job. That you have trial in your life. That you have left God because God knows where you are. And he sums up his words by saying, but the eyes of the wicked will fail and they shall not escape and their hope Loss of life. Job 11, 12, 20. You see, now let's move away from the scene around this, friends. Let's get back to life application here. The Bible is trying to teach us a powerful lesson. God is greater than your possessions. God is greater than what you have in your life. God's greatness is not measured by what you have or what you don't have in your life. And our problem is, is that many times we equate the gifts of God that He gives to us with righteousness. That many times we say that, that because we have these things, I'm righteous. God gave me this car. God gave me this house. God gave me these things. And yes, He did. But it's not because you were righteous. All that we have belongs to the Lord. All that we are belongs to God. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible tells us. So what we have in this life, we are but stewards of what He has given to us. We are not, we don't own it even though our name may be on it, listen, you can't take it with you. And if you can't take it with you when you die, you don't own it. The only thing you're going to take with you when these eyes close is your soul. And I turned mine over to somebody else. And when I gave him my soul, Jesus took it. And I no longer am responsible for it on the other side. He's going to bring me into that promised land. But in this life, we equate gifts of God with righteousness. And God and is in the midst of all this. And here are these friends. You can read about his friends and read through the text this week. And Job is frustrated. There's another character that comes on. I'm not going to go into him. But Job is frustrated and we get to the end of the book of all this conversation back and forth, back and forth. Chapter 38, the Bible says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now hear me. How many of you realize when you're going through something, you call it a storm or a whirlwind in this case? 
in the midst of where you are, if you will listen, God will speak. He will speak to you. He will help you. He will encourage you. And he will bless you. And Job has had these petitions before God. He's standing before the Lord and he's telling them, I'm innocent, God. And he's borderlining accusing God of not being just. He says, God, I'm innocent. I, this is not right. And then Job hears God. And let me tell you something. Like that one time I challenged my dad. I don't recommend my son challenge me. Heard about some of your stories, Wayne. <laughs> I'm just kidding, bro. <laughs> I don't recommend a son challenge his father. Daddies know how to come up to the challenge. But listen, I still got breath in this body. My dad's going to be 90 years old. I'm not going to dishonor him. <laughs> I said, Job, thank you, brother. I said, Job has stood before his father in heaven. And he says, God, I need you to answer me. And God says, okay. But he says it in a powerful way. And he looks down at Job, verse 38, verse 2. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He said, "You, Job, here's your problem, buddy. You don't know what's going on. And you think I'm unjust? And you think I've, I'm somehow... Some kind of tyrant? You think somehow I'm not worthy of praise? You think somehow that, listen, you darken counsel with words without knowledge. You don't know what you think you know, Job. You don't know what you feel. You don't know what you think you know, Job. And he goes on and he said, by, he says, now prepare yourself like a man. And I will question you. And you shall answer me. I like this. This is manly talk here. You want to act like a God? Stand up. You want to act like a man? Stand up. Stop sitting there in the ashes of where you are, whining about what's going on in your life. Stand up, Job, and let's talk. You want to have a conversation, Job? Your darkened words have no meaning to me. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? 
To what were its foundations fastened? And who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut the sea with the doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band? When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors? When I said, this far you may come but no further and how your proud waves must stop? Have you commanded the morning since your days began? Have you caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. And from the wicked their light is withheld, an upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea or have walked in the search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. This is taking it like a man. Tell me. At this point, we don't need to talk any longer if I'm Job. I'm done with the conversation. I'm sorry, God. And I'm down. And I think it kind of happens in the midst of all this because you see a transitional moment. And God, he's just letting them have it. I mean, read through it. Do you, verse chapter 39, it's not on the screen, chapter 30. Do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear young? Or can you mark the deer when it gives birth? Can you number the months that they fulfill? Or do you know the time when the bear give, get bear young? Do they bow down? They bring forth their young. They deliver their offspring. The young ones are healthy. They grow with grain. They depart and do not return to them. Who set the wild donkey for? And on and on and on. The Verse 13, the wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but where are her wings and pinions like the kind, kindly stork? She leaves her eggs in the ground and warms them with the dust. Verse 19, have you given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with thunder? Can you Frighten him like a locust, his majestic snorting that strikes terror. And on and on, verse 26, does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nest on high? Mm. Job chapter 40. He says in verse 2, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. And this is Job's response. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Basically, I'm done with this conversation, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I learned that when I got married. Just learned that. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. We'll just move on. Job learned that with God. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I put my hand over my mouth to prevent my mouth from opening up and accidentally leaking out stupid stuff. That's basically what he's saying. I'm going to make sure that this doesn't happen. And God says, hold on, I'm not done. You ever been 
Woodshed, sometimes you're done before your father is. Hold on. I'm not done. The lesson hasn't been learned yet. And he goes on. Now prepare yourself like a man. And he goes on and further explains the story. Chapter 40 and 41. Job then, after going through all that, answers the Lord and says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, Job is angry. All these things have happened to him. The pain that's going on. And notice, if you read through it, God never tells Job what happened in heaven. He never says that, Job, I was bragging on you, buddy. He said, why? Because that wasn't Job's place to know that God loved him in that way. He didn't, un Job didn't realize how proud of a father God was. And he was telling the devil, you think you've got this human race whipped? I've got this guy named Job. And if you take everything he has, I'm still going to be worshipped by him. And so Job says, I'm sorry I got angry, God. I'm sorry, Lord, I said things I shouldn't have said. I'm sorry I, I, I put these things upon you. I'm sorry, Lord. I realize that you are grander than I am. You are more majestic than I am. I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. And as he kneels before the Lord, and as he speaks before God, the Holy Spirit, I believe, lifted this man Job up. I want to tell you why I believe that in just a minute. But let me finish this story. The Bible says, And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, verse 7 and 42. The Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Notice something very important. Job's friends heard God. And they heard what, his, what he had to say to Job. Now, therefore, take yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. And go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him. 
lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job had. And notice the friends, they heard the story. They're like, we're getting out of here. We're not letting this come to us. And they bring all that they have. And Job prays for his friends. You see, sometimes I've heard this story preached that God took things away from Job just so that Job could be blessed doubly. And I think when I was younger, I used to pray that way. I mean, preach it that way. Maybe. But the older I get and the more pain I endure, I realize that's not always the case. And I realize that sometimes you just got to be in the place where you say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And he's too big for me to understand. He's too vast for me to try to grab a hold of his wisdom. I just want to live with him with, and do what he tells me to do. I'm still going to bless his name. And so in the atmosphere of all that's going on, in the atmosphere of this trouble, you go and you look through all this trial, and maybe you're facing something this morning. Hear me today. And you got friends that have wounded you. Notice the transition. The blessing of God did not return back to Job until Job prayed for those who persecuted him. Until he said, until Job prays for you. And then God looked at Job. And here he is. These guys bringing all this stuff around him. These camels and, well, these, sorry, these animals for sacrifice. Bringing all these things to Job. Job could have said, get on out of here. And if Job hadn't prayed for him, it seems as if the text is implying that they were going to be in trouble. But Job says, no, come, let me pray for you. Let me pray God over you. Let me pray God's blessing on your life. Let me pray God's peace upon you. Let me pray for you. And I want to tell you something very important. Money can be replaced, but family cannot. So you cannot say, well, Job got all of his family back. Yeah, but he still remembers those babies. All of, their, all of Job's life, he's going to remember the children he had that are no longer there. This is not meaning that somehow God replaced it all. This is just saying God blessed Job. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, there is a response that I have given that has completed this story of Job. And Jesus spoke it to us in person. In the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of a land 
that had been lost in midst of when when they lost everything and Israel didn't know what to do. They were under Roman siege. Jesus stands up and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the dead. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom. Jesus answered the question of Job. Not everything's going to go right. They're going to persecute you. You're going to go through pain. You're going to go through trial. You're going to go through things in your life. Not everything's going to work out like you planned. But God looks at you and calls you blessed. Blessed are you, poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed who are hungry and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Just be blessed. I may not have the answer to all your questions. I may not have the answer to what you're going through. But I know one thing. The blessing of God is on you. If you just trust Him. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God and Pastor Larry Sterling. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.